Holy Spirit, be in this house. Amen. Amen. My name is Jordan. This is church. I do not, uh, I do not come to church uh, to be uh, who I am here. I come to church because it helps me to be who I am out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you are quite something. Look to your left, look to your right. You are quite something. On you rests the reason behind the universe, the purposes and plans of God for creation. Yeah. Uh, you are incredibly consequential. So look left to right and just say, ah, you matter. You matter, you matter, no matter. That's a good one. You, you, think, you think that's true? You matter, no matter. Have Rendell up here. Go ahead, stand up. Stand up. Everybody, ooh and ah. Ooh. Look at that. That's a significant man right there. Yeah? Oh, Rochelle, right up front. Look here, look. Seriously. A gorgeous human being. Nothing. I'm just, I'm just telling everybody how wonderful you are. Go ahead, wave, take a bow. That's Rochelle, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. We got, we got John sitting over there. Go ahead and stand up, John. He's tall. Everybody can see him. Uh, beautiful stuff. Go ahead and, and tell someone how beautiful they are. Jason, you got you got a word. Jason's got a word. He's gonna he's gonna share with someone who who do you wanna who do you wanna pick on? Yes, uh, I will pick on uh, the guy in the blue polo, third row. Uh, hello, sir. I, I feel like I have a word for you. I feel like you well, have. Well, you a... got you have to stand up, sir, so oh, people yes, can please. ooh and ah. Yes, yes. Uh, I feel like you have a shepherding heart and a shepherding calling. Uh, the thing that you do in life is very much a, a thing of leading people. It's very much of a thing of gathering people into safety and even taking them out into the wilderness. I think part of that job right now is that you're being pulled in many different directions. And there's a lot of different things that could draw your focus. And I feel the prophetic word in it is that in this time, although there are many things you could give your attention to, focus on one. Uh, focus on the thing that will lead, uh, be an action that leads to other actions. Focus on the thing that will um, kind of draw your spirit's attention. Uh, yeah, don't worry about what's outside the bounds. The image was kind of you shooting marbles. Uh, you know, there are many things outside the circle in marbles. There are many other marbles in the circle. Uh, but really all you're worried about is the shooter uh, and what it's aiming for. And you're aiming it to hit something else out. Single-minded focus. Good job. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jason. That was Jason. He's not perfect, but he's awesome. He's consequential. That's what we are, and the thing is, you know, all indications are that we might not understand just how amazing and significant 
we are. You know, Jesus is always making these points like, you know, the first will be last, and the last first, the least will be the greatest. There's some sense in the Jesus teachings that we, we, it's just hard for us to remember how big a deal we are. Uh, so, turn to somebody next to you and say, big deal. God could, God could snap his fingers, right? God could snap his fingers and make all the problems in the world go away. But instead, he has chosen to partner with us to get things done in the world, which means that rather than just doing things grandly, God is kind of into doing things in a human-sized sort of way. Therefore, even the small things we do might be way more important than we realize they are. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Think about the widow's might. You know, Jesus flipped out over a, a widow who gave a two-penny donation. Uh, and, and he sort of disrespected manifestly uh, the wealthy people who give large donations. It's how we go about doing things sometimes that makes the huge difference. Right? Almost anything we do could be amazingly consequential on that scale. You are quite something. And almost anything you do might be quite amazing. Do you think that's true? Do you feel that way uh, this morning? Because uh, I'm going to make you feel that way this morning. Uh, I'm going to make a significant difference in your life this morning. You know why I say that? I'm kind of a big deal. Because, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I am the salt. I am the light of the world. Yeah. At least, I'm, at least I'm, I'm part of it. That's me. Uh, and I am under orders from the living God, no less, to, uh, to, to positively impact pretty much everyone who comes into my orbit. You might have shown up this morning not in a mood to be improved. You might have shown up this morning not particularly wanting to change your life, but I'm going to change it. You know why? I'm salty. Because I'm light and I illuminate things and you are going to react. I think I can make a difference for you in a big way. So let's start the warm-up. Uh, let's, let's do some chants this morning. We'll do some chants. I think I, I think I have... All right, so the first one, the first one, life is good, life is hard, life counts. That's this side of the room. Read it with me. Okay, on my hand, ready? Too many white people, you need this one. And, and then the second one, live truly, fight hard, love much. Ready? I think they beat you in the spirit side of it, uh, but we're going to work at that. Do you know, have you ever read through the book of Psalms in the Bible, and, and you come to one that has a little category over it called Psalm of Ascents? Any Bible students in here? Uh, it's a psalm written to ascend, in other words. And what, what the uh, ancient uh, Israelites would do is they had special songs to sing to each other. They were call and response songs, sort of like... Uh, 
soldiers in boot camp will, will sing uh, to one another when they're, when they're jogging. Call and response. And as they ascended the hill toward the temple, one half of the crowd would sing a call, and the other half of the crowd would sing a response. And it was to kind of get their spirits right as they ascended toward the temple. So this is a, this is a psalm of ascents. This is a call and response psalm. So you guys are going to do the first part, and then you guys are going to do the second part, and we'll see who's the most holy side. Ready? Here we go. We're getting there. One more time. Woo! That was the warm-up. Who can give me the five discipleship questions? All right. Yep. What's God in speaking to you right now? I'm God, I've got thinking. What are you doing about that? What's a specific thing you're doing? You're praying for your brother. Great. What's getting in the way? It seems bleak when you pray for, for your brother. Yeah, how can I help you with that? Okay, let's give Nita a hand. Five discipleship questions. Uh, what's God been saying to you recently? What's important in your life? That's the first one. Uh, you can ask that to anybody, right? If they're a believer, you might say, what's God been saying to you recently? Sometimes we use the capital G, God, but it's okay. It's cool. Uh, what, what's important in your life? You can ask that of, of anyone. Do you, you ever you feel like you have a call in your life? Do you feel like you have a grand purpose in your life? Well, what's getting in the way? And as soon as you ask that question, you're starting to disciple someone. You're starting to make a positive impact on them. Yeah, what is getting in, in, in the way? What are you doing about it? You know? And then, uh, who are you developing, or whom are you developing, if you want to be proper with it? Uh, are you being a positive impact? And then the money question, how can I help? Do you guys you remember the five discipleship questions? Because we've gone over them like six times at Blue Water Mission. Okay, that was just a pop quiz. Uh, that was uh, a warm-up. Uh, who feels like answering a question? All right, Dan. Uh, Dan, why, why, stand up. Why do you follow Jesus, buddy? He's experienced too much to believe otherwise. Fantastic. Well done. Okay, why do you follow Jesus? There's no one else who's worthy. He's top dog. Nice. All right. Snaps, Kate. Uh, let's say together, it works. Can you say that? If you, if you can't remember, we put it up on the screen. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Question. What works?
Gatson buddy, just, just go ahead and move to the front row because clearly, clearly you're following. What, what's it? Jesus? Faith? Salvation? Hope? What career? Prayer. Oh. The kingdom works. Excellent. That's a provocative question uh, to ask yourself. Uh, say this with me. Always be discipling. Always be discipling. Always be discipling. When should we disciple? Always. All right. Stupid exercises, right? No? What do you think? Worthwhile? Spirit filling? Culture building? It works. Trying to create a little positive vibe in here, trying, trying to create a culture in which we're helping and encouraging uh, each other. Uh, because, because there's a difference between teaching and coaching. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's something that we need to be clear about, particularly as we help each other uh, through this uh, crazy life. There's a huge difference between uh, a lecture hall and a training ground or a, a training field right? Uh, one makes you think. A good teaching will make you think. Uh, but but the, the training field or the coaching field makes you do stuff. And what's the goal ultimately in this life? To do stuff. If we're going to be salt and life, it's really not just about what we think. It's about what we do. And to be salt and light in the world, to be uh, Jesus followers, to be people of impact, to be light where there is darkness, we're going to have to actually get it out of us in some fashion. And that's going to require some coaching. Can you think of anything involving some sort of preparation for a job or an activity for doing something that doesn't involve active training? You know, like if, let's say you're trying to become a physician, you're trying to become a doctor, you're trying to become a surgeon. Could that happen in a lecture hall only? No. If that's the way you trained, I'm not going to you to get my, to get my surgery. No, there's, there's a, a coaching aspect, right? Somebody stands beside you at some point and says, do it this way. Or hopefully a whole lot of somebody stand next to you and says, do it this way. Uh, we have uh, loads of military personnel uh, in, this, in this congregation. Um, how much of your preparation involves sitting in a classroom? And how much of your preparation involves being on the field, doing something active, practicing something active? I don't know what the proportions are, but a significant of your time is going to be you know, somebody there next to you making you do stuff correctly, getting it out of you so the process of doing becomes well-greased and, and practiced. We find ways uh, to, uh, to be active in order to be good and active or to be, act, to be good at what um, uh, we are pursuing in life, right? Coaching is not just teaching, uh, it's, it's coaching. In the salt and light business, we have to find ways of coaching people to get the proper words out. 
We have to find ways of coaching people to take the proper steps in order to represent the kingdom of God uh, to those who need to find it, to demonstrate God's character, God's love, and God's power. That doesn't just happen because we know we should do it. We have to actually practice. We have to train. We have to help one another. We have to encourage one another to get it out. Coaching, good coaching, always requires an active response. That's what defines coaching. You know, a coach makes you do stuff, which is why I had you do chants today. It's a small thing, but it helps you get the right words out. You know, you can't just think them. You have to get them out. Uh, a Tom Landry, Hall of Fame coach of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, had what is probably my famous, my, my favorite a statement on coaching. He said, a coach is someone who makes you do what you don't want to do so that you can become what you want to become. Should I say that again? A coach is someone who makes you do what you don't want to do so that you can become what you want to become. That's why we have like fitness coaches, right? I mean, we want to be in shape, but we don't want to exercise. <laughs> There's a problem with that. So we pay a lot of money to someone to make us do what we know full well we ought to do, right? And that's, that's the real function of, of a fitness coach. I mean, they can teach us certain techniques, you know, how to do the proper sit-up. But what a coach really is, is someone who makes us do what we don't want to do so that we can become what we want to become. And we need to be that for one another. Because what we're doing, be salt and light in the world, to be kingdom representatives in the world, is far more countercultural than being physically fit. A lot more opposition involved. You might say to me, oh, you don't know how much I hate the gym. No, there's a lot more opposition involved being salt and, and light in the world. Um, sometimes what we do is that we learn more in order to avoid doing more. That's how bad it gets. Like, you know, we study the Bible, we train and train and train. We'll do anything. We'll go to any class. We'll pray any number of hours in order to avoid actually doing what we know we ought to do, which is talking to our neighbors, praying for that sick person at work, um, inviting a lonely person out to lunch, giving of our time. Those are the things that are actually quite difficult. Um, there's a buy-in moment that happens when we submit ourselves to doing something we think is just a little awkward or distasteful or painful for the sake of becoming what we want to be. It's called the buy-in moment. It's the moment where we're like, you know what? I'm in. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do the extra. I'm going to put my heart into it. I have moved my spirit. I've made a decision. I have bought in. I am now that guy. I am now that gal who's going to live that life. I'm in. It's the, it's the moment that Jesus was always trying to get out of people when he was passing through town and somebody expressed some interest and he would say, all right, follow me. All right, now, instead of just being interested and listening to my teaching, you have to, you have to change your life. You have to come with me to the next town. You have to do something. And that's a potential buy-in moment, right? It's like, I'm either in or I'm not in. Uh, it's when he, he said to Peter, all right, go ahead, step out of the boat, walk on the water. 
Jesus loves moments like that. Peter wanted it. He wanted it. He wanted it. And Jesus said, well, okay, come on. Step. I'm right here, buddy. Do it. Coaching moment. Buy-in moment. All-in moment. Uh, It's when he told his disciples when he sent them on their first uh, ministry journey. He said, go ahead of me. Go to the towns I haven't been to yet. Uh, Don't take any money or anything. Just show up. Tell them about the kingdom and do a bunch of miracles. I'll be along shortly. That was a buy-in moment, right? I mean, do I, do I really buy it? You could imagine the disciples turning one to another, saying, do I, I mean, do I really buy this? Are we in? Are we going to do this? Are, are we really going? Is, is this really happening? And Jesus was provoking a buy-in from them. He was provoking coaching amongst them. Those are important moments. Let me ask you a question. Are you salty? Are you light? By which I mean, are you, are you actually doing it? And if you're like me, day to day, it's a little bit of a struggle. I mean, am I salt? Am I light? Yes. And no, I mean, am I? Sure. Am I doing it? Probably not as well as I could. Probably, if you're like me, you need to be coached up a bit. Right? You need people standing beside you saying, do it. I know you don't want to do it, but do it, and then you'll be what you want to be. Then you'll have the life that you want to have. You'll start having impact. You'll start being flavor. You'll start being illumination. You will be that kingdom agent. You know the principle. You know what to do. You know the five discipleship questions. You can, you can testify about why you follow Jesus, but are you actually doing it? A little coaching would probably help you along. You can be committed in your head, and you may be committed passionately in your heart, but you're not seeing action on the field, perhaps. You need a buy-in moment. You need a step out of the boat moment. I think culture is the greatest coach that we have in life because culture is a constant. You know what I mean by culture? It's all those little things that sort of come together to create an atmosphere and an expectation that people share. It's the little sayings that you have. It can be the way you dress. It can be the music that you listen to. It can be the habits that we share as a group. It can be norms. You know what norms are? Uh, Norms are like, well, yeah, there's morality and there are principles, but what do we expect will really happen? You know, that's norm. What do we expect as a group is really going to happen this week in our workplaces or our classrooms or or whatever it it is? Culture acts constantly in a setting, and it acts in big ways, and it acts in small ways. It's pervasive, so it changes and reinforces us better than anything else. It's the atmosphere that really coaches us best. Are you following me? I haven't heard from you in a while, so just say amen. amen. Just give me like an ooh or an ah or something like that. Coach me up a little bit. Is it working? Gatson? Thank you. Um, we have a, a fairly strong and I think mostly helpful culture at Blue Water. Uh, we have a try culture, don't we? Right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to try things. We're going to try outlandish things sometimes, aren't we? And I think we do that uniquely well. We have a grace and a justice culture uh, that I think uh, has formed our community. You know, we're, we're fairly diverse, you know. Uh, we need a lot of grace to hang together. Go ahead and turn to your left and your right and say, I need a lot of grace to have you here. Go ahead. 
We have a great culture of anti-materialistic generosity. I think, no kidding, this is the most generous church I've ever been a part of. We share things better than any faith community I've ever been part of. We share households. We're incredibly hospitable as, as, a, as a general rule, uh, as a culture. Uh, we, we, uh, we're pretty humble and generous with our money, uh, so I like that. Snaps. It's worth thinking about, though, what in our culture helps us to be salt and light to everyone in the world, to really follow through, to say it, always be discipling. Are we helping each other to do that well? Uh, because the, the tough bit is not knowing that we should. The tough bit is not memorizing something like the discipleship questions, which are not magical. They're just, you know, good to have handy. Um, we can know those things, but it's the doing of the things uh, that really makes us who we should be. And it's doing the right stuff consistently. And that's why culture is so helpful, right? We have to have a, an expect, a shared expectation, a shared norm. No, this is what we do. And if we buy into that as a group, then we will be doing it like nobody's business. We'll be doing it like gangbusters. We have to have a constant salt and light culture because the culture of the world is very constant and it's acting on you all the time. The culture of the world is chaos. It's diffusion. It's the thing that sort of dulls you and keeps you from following through on those conversations that would be very easy to have, on those questions that would be very easy to ask, on the healing attempts that would be very easy to try, but you don't do it. Why? Because the culture of chaos is pressing against you all the time. And unless you fight it with a culture of light and salt, if you constantly fight it, it will constantly just kind of dull you into meaninglessness. So let's do our teaching point of the day. I want to read together Luke 14, uh, 25 through 35. Maybe this is a familiar teaching uh, to some of you. And, and here's what it, it's about. It's about this thing called almost. Often what wipes us out is not our total failures. What wipes us out is our almost successes. Uh, so let's read together. Uh, Luke 14 through 35. Uh, you can follow along in your programs, your smartphones, your Bibles. It's going to be up on the big screen. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Wow. That's interesting. Everybody go, hmm. This is Jesus preaching hate. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Just to put that in modern vernacular. Who doesn't, whoever doesn't carry their electric chair with them can't, can't be my disciple. Because that's what a cross was. An instrument of torture and execution. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. When you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it, uh, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, uh, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
halfway, almost. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. You can't do things halfway. You have to think it through. Here's the kicker. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. (laughs) It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, think this through. Listen to what I'm actually saying. Jesus says. This is a familiar passage uh, for you guys. In your Bibles, uh, if you're reading along, I bet you uh, there's a heading that says something like uh, the cost of discipleship or counting the costs, something like that, right? Jesus tells these rather shocking illustrations, these parables, and said, look, if you want to follow me, uh, then you're going to have to hate your father, your mother, your children, your spouse, uh, he says, what I'm talking about, guys, is just like, say, someone is going to build a tower, which was a huge undertaking in those days. Uh, and uh, does that person just jump in? Or does he first really concentrate and make sure that, it, that he has the resources that he needs? Because if he gets stuck halfway, it's going to be worse than if he never started. Uh, it's going to be like a bridge halfway across a canyon, which is worse than no bridge at all. The bridge halfway across the canyon just leads you to death, right? I think that's what happens sometimes. Uh, the worst witness in the world uh, is not, doesn't come from the atheists or the agnostic. The worst witness in the world comes from the people who are half Christians, right? Because they say this is Christianity, but it has nothing in it. It's not complete. And so people get the wrong idea. And they, what do they do? They ridicule. They ridicule kind of what Jesus is saying here. Or you used an illustration of a king going to war. It's like even a king has enough sense to know that if he's going to fight a war, he's better fight it all out or make alternate arrangements, you know. Uh, and I think these are passages that get preached in a lot of churches on, on Sunday. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which we touched upon last week, there's a salt and light passage that comes at the beginning. You are the salt of of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus says to the crowd. But here in the Gospel of Luke, he puts the salt and light teaching uh, at the end of these parables. I imagine Jesus often gave the salt and light teaching. I imagine it was one of his sayings. It was one of his culture builders. Um, He was a traveling rabbi, and he would give the same sermons in different places in order to build a, I would call it a coaching culture, so that everybody got the sayings on their lips. Yeah, we're salt, we're light. So here's another place he uses the salt and light, but he does it in an alarming way. He said, don't go halfway. Don't get stuck in almost. It will, it will wipe you out. If salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you are salt, but you don't follow through as salt, then you're good for nothing but the manure pile. I love when Jesus talks like that. You know, it's like, he makes them so accessible to me. Uh, if I were translating the Bible, I would put that in a deeper vernacular, but you get the idea, right? The manure pile. You're just a load of manure, you know. You could, you could, you could put it better. Uh, I think we can all agree that this particular Jesus teaching sucks. 
Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Uh, because it's scary and it seems unkind. Uh, it's important to focus on what it's really about. You know, counting the costs. Yeah, sure. But what does that mean exactly? People often think that it means be careful. Before you get involved in something Christian-y, be careful. Think it through. But I think that's absurd. I mean, that's absolutely not what it means. Uh, what it means is go for it totally. Otherwise, you won't be able to make it. Or, uh, to use deep vernacular, don't be half-assed. If you're half-assed, you'll get your ass kicked. Now, you'll remember I said that, <laughs> which is why Jesus uses the manure pile thing. Uh, you have to be all in. You can't be halfway. And the thing is, we start all in, but we get muted. That's just how the culture of the world works. We need an all-in sort of culture to pull it off, and that's why Jesus kept saying things like this. Think of all the Jesus teachings that have to do with the danger of almost. I mean, it's all over the Jesus teaching. Uh, the, the parable of the sower, the sower's seed that falls on the ground, the plant sprouts up and then doesn't have any root or withers in the sun and, and falls away. That plant was an almost plant. Um, or uh, the plowman who, turned, who uh, should not uh, turn back. Somebody comes to Jesus in uh, Luke 9, uh, I believe it is, and said, I'm going to follow you, but let me go say goodbye to my mother and father. And Jesus said, a plowman that sets his hand to the plow and then turns back is not fit for the field. You know, you, you can't start and then not follow through. Every opportunity Jesus got, he made this sort of point. Peter, when he sinks, sure, he steps out of the boat and he starts walking. And then he, then he sinks. He did an amazing thing halfway. And then Jesus grabs him and said, you know, where's your faith, man? You got afraid, didn't you? Pulled him up, put him back in the boat. We'll get him next time. Coached him up a little bit, quite literally. Um, in Revelations, this is even in the gospel, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. You're lukewarm, and therefore I will spit you out of my mouth. It don't, can't be a half Christian. That I cannot take. Right? I'd rather you say that you don't believe than believe part way because what that does is it, it impacts the world negatively. You send the wrong uh, message. Um, conversely, Jesus tells these parables like the widow who does not give up on her prayers, who kept praying even though the judge was unjust for a long period of time. There's not a hint of almost in that woman. And Jesus loves that, doesn't he? Whenever anybody follows through, even when they shouldn't, he gets super excited about it. There's some principle here. Uh, in the way that the kingdom is actually lived out in our lives, almost is a bigger worry than total failure. You know, if Jesus would look out over this crowd today, I think he'd say, I'm not worried about you guys being total failures. I'm worried about you guys being half-assed. And that's just a powerful kingdom principle. Don't be half-assed, salt and light. Just ruinous. You can't do it that way, guys. You know, I'll help you. I'll be gracious. I'll be generous. But just 
you have to follow through on this thing. Otherwise, you know, might as well not even try. Uh, we'll talk about this in a later sermon, but I would say a complete failure is better than an incomplete one. You know what I mean by that? I mean, rather do something all in and just fail gloriously than do something kingdom-oriented and then just kind of turn back halfway through. No, if you're going to fail, I mean fail. That's why we give an award at our annual leadership banquet for most spectacular failure of the year. Half-assed is a much bigger problem than total failure. Snaps? Yes? You following me? Um, And this kicker at the end about, you know, how important it is to be salt and light. I'm just, I've just been haunted with that recently. Be salty or else. Uh, this week, um, I was thinking a lot about trying to be salt, so uh, I had uh, some frustrations. Uh, I, I followed through one. Uh, I, I gave a, a word of knowledge to a, a stranger, sort of an acquaintance uh, of, of a friend, and I was kind of walking by. I said hello, and then I do what I normally did. I just kept walking. And then like three minutes later, I was like, all right, Lord, what would you say to that person? Um, I'm pretty good at the word of knowledge thing, just sort of getting little, little tiny prophecies for somebody. That's uh, something that I feel fairly comfortable with. So I waited. It's about 10 seconds until I, oh, I got it. I got it. And then I walked back. Very inelegant, very socially awkward. I also excel at that. <laughs> and I said, you know, hey, hey, by, by, by chance our... Um, do you have, do you have uh, this interest? Because I think God is saying that this is important for you. And, I, and you sort of went for it. And, you know, the conversation lasted then about five minutes. And, of course, uh, it, was, it was spot on. I, I think it was really helpful. And then, of course, what did I do? I followed up with discipleship questions, didn't I? And sort of went to it. So that was a success snap for me. Uh, then, in, then I walk into a Starbucks, uh, this was yesterday, and I'm standing there in line, and, and somebody came up to me and says, you're that guy, aren't you? And I, I, I get that. It's like, I'm well-known enough to kind of get recognized, but I'm not well-known enough to actually have a reputation or anything. So like, you're that guy who does that thing, and, and he knew me from, uh, from Seed Restaurant, uh, which was not something that we did halfway, I'll just say that. And, you know, what, what's going on with that? You know, how can I get involved with that? So um, we had a brief conversation, but I was getting coffee. Uh, and uh, then he went over and stood uh, with some friends uh, that he had, he had come with, and I, and I thought, I should go talk to those people. I think there's an important moment here, but we were on our way somewhere, so I didn't do it. Everybody boo me. Bad pastor. Uh, we have some neighbors in our neighborhood are going through just a terrible, terrible time, and I've been racking my brain uh, about how to speak into that situation. I still haven't followed through. I haven't been able to do anything yet, um, but I'm, I'm trying. On the other hand, uh, Nana got commitment from some neighbors down the street to attend church with us as soon as we can organize a ride. So that's uh, I have a 92-year-old evangelist. We got to be salt where we live. And I'm just sharing those stories uh, because uh, I want all of us to participate in this constant coaching 
culture. All right, so we need a battle plan. We'll just finish with this. I am loved. I am saved. But I don't want to be worthless. You know, I want to have an effect. I want to have an impact. Because being loved and being saved is wonderful, but we also have a purpose to follow through with uh, in this world. Uh, so what do we need from church to do that well? I think we need some coaching. We need some positive reinforcement of one another. We need a constant culture that drives us forward to be salt and light. Otherwise, the other stuff will start to lose its shine. You know, we'll start to decrease instead of increase because we're not being who we are. So we need to force one another to do what we don't want to do so that we can be uh, who we are. So here's some tips uh, for the week. Uh, tip number one, if you want to be salt and light where you live, you have to be all in. Say it. It will work. It will work. No, that wasn't it. It was, it works, right? It works. Thank you. Keep me honest, Gats. You have to believe, you have to commit. You have to change your state in order to change the atmosphere. How many of you have ever played violent sports? You know, football, rugby, MMA. Raise your hands. Let me see that again. How many of you? Michelle, yep. Flag football. <clears throat> Way to go. How many of you played other violent sports? Football, wrestling, something? All right, there we go. Okay, now we're starting to see some hands. Good. Um, so before the, before the game, if you're going to go out and risk life and limb, what do you do? You get psyched up, right? You change your state, right? Military guys do this too, depending on, on the mission. You have, to, um, you have to get your game on. You have to get your heart into it. You have to get psyched up. We have all sorts of phrases that mean... You have to show up and be all in, because if you don't, then there's no chance that you're really going to push through the opposition. And I think we need that in life. We need to get a little psyched up, which is why we do call and response psalms of ascent, right? It's just like we're getting our game face on. Uh, we, we have to do this. I had a, a guy in high school I played football with who uh, used to take about an hour to get psyched up before the game. He would just beat his head against the locker. I went to my 30th high school reunion recently, and he walked through the door, and I asked him several diagnostic questions. <laughs> and I was gratified to find that all his mental faculties were, were still there. Uh, one day he got out of control, and he started, before a big game, and he started beating on the locker, and he destroyed it. And the coaches had to intervene. Uh, but point made, right, point made. He, he was taking it seriously. He was getting all in. And we can do that for one another, I think. Uh, you get psyched up for a, a game of football. You get psyched up for a game of flag football. <laughs> you get psyched up for a job interview. You get psyched up for a day of work. If you stumble into work in a complaining attitude, you won't be salt and light. You have to get your game on. Uh, so that's tip number one. Once you put your spirit into it, then you can be a self-coach. Uh, I, I do this self-talk all the time. I just, you know, I'm, I'm a complainer by nature. Um, and, you know, I'm slow. I'm an introverted sort of guy. So if I'm doing something I don't want to do, uh, I get my game. I talk to myself. I say, come on, Jordan. Uh, knock it off. 
you can do this, uh, stuff like that. And uh, I find that on occasion, that's at least as helpful to me as like praying for help from God or something like that. You know, I imagine God saying to me like, no, you got this. And I'm like, yes, I do. Come on. Uh, we can do this. Uh, what I'm doing there is I'm getting my game on. I'm going all in. I'm changing my attitude. And then that changes my atmosphere. Everybody responds to me if my spirit is in it. If my spirit isn't in it, then nobody will respond to me well. Right? More on that later. You have to have actions in mind so you don't hesitate or dither. Uh, this is why we go over the five discipleship questions. You have to have questions in mind. Now, you don't have to use them. There may well be better questions or a better approach, but you need to have something in your head so that when the time comes, it's right there, and you don't have to think about it too much. Right? You know what to do, so we rehearse those things from time to time. Uh, everybody say this. Jesus has really made a difference for me. Blue Water Mission has really made a difference for me. Why do I make you say that? It's really easy, right? But you have to have that in mind. So that's called a testimony. You know, or have a story in mind uh, that shows why Jesus has made a difference in you or why somebody should let you pray to heal them or something like that why they should come to church. Have that in mind. Uh, number three, instigate. It doesn't have to be a big action, just a massive one. You know what I mean by that? Um, the widow's mites, when she made the donation of two pennies, it wasn't a big donation, but it was a massive one. It was filled with weight. It was filled with importance. Uh, so... Might with all your might. Get it? M-I-T-E with M-I-T. One might with all your might. All right, now we're just going to say it because you've hacked me off. One might with all your might. One might with all your might. Good, that'll be useful someday. You'll think, well, I don't know what to do. Well, do something small, but do it totally. One might with all your might is way better than something huge and complicated that you don't actually do. That's right. Yeah, oh, now you're liking it. Um, doesn't have to be a big action, just a massive one. Um, let's stop there. Uh, so I want to leave some time uh, for a response. Um, how many of you... Uh, are in. How many of you want to be salt and light? Uh, so typically we do this at, at Blue Water Mission. Uh, we call you for prayer, right? If you want to respond, you come forward and you receive prayer uh, from the prayer team. <clears throat> um, so let's have the prayer team go over against the Mackay wall. These are people who have just given over a big portion of their lives to prepare uh, and to be uh, ready uh, to offer ministry in the Holy Spirit. Lay hands on people and to heal their bodies or to prophesy, uh, to give direction in life, things like that.
show of hands again, how many would like to make a response? Great, so here's what we're gonna do. I've got all the normal prayer warriors out of the picture. So if you wanna make a response today, uh, my call for prayer is find somebody to pray for. They do it all the time, so I'm making them second strength. I've just eliminated them from the equation for a while. Uh, so you know what I mean by this? Instigate something. I want you to stand up and I want you to find somebody to disciple. How are you going to do that? Uh, well, you're going to walk up to them and you're going to say, mm, live truly, fight hard, love much. Or you're going to use one of those questions that's slowly getting into your mind. You're going to say, what's God been saying to you recently? Or you're just going to come up to somebody and you're going to say, you're amazing. Here's what I think the Lord is saying to me about you. Or you're going to come up to somebody and say, you know, what's getting in the way? Uh, is it, uh, you know, your, your bum knee? Is it your migraine headache? Is it your troublesome boss? All right, let's take care of that right now. We're going to pray together. We're going to lay on hands, right? We're going to do things that at Blue Water Mission we know how to do. Now, look, if you are brand new uh, this morning, uh, <clears throat> good luck. I know this is a little awkward for you, uh, but it's going to be changeful for you, you know. I, I told you that I'd make a difference, and I would, rather, I would rather go sit in a manure pile than not make a difference. Uh, and so, uh, if you're brand new uh, and you don't know what's going on, just sit there and maybe someone will come up and bless you. Your job today, perhaps, is just to receive a blessing from someone who wants to coach you to be... Um, more of what you should be in life because I'm telling you that God has something in store for you that is filled with life, that is filled with love, and that is filled with victory. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get up and throw down. Ready? Father, I pray that you would make the church the church. I pray, Lord, that you would make salt salt and light light. Let your kingdom come through Blue Water Mission. Be our coach and empower us to be coaches and disciplers. I pray, Lord, that we would make the difference that we ought to make. We need to make it, Lord. We need to make it in our neighborhoods, at our corner coffee shop. We need to make it at work. We need to make it at school. We need to be salt and light. So we give you this time. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>